Welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Every week, I host live chats via our YouTube channel with leaders in the AFL and high-performance industries. Join me live every Sunday at 6pm where I debrief the recent chats and announce the upcoming guests. We drop an inspiring and educational episode every Monday. If you like the show, please follow us on your favourite podcast app. Jack McLean, I'm your host, and today my guest is Ibrahim Karim. He is the head physiotherapist at Manchester United Football Club with a strong background of working with elite footballers. He has also worked as an educator at the University of Technology, Sydney, and is a demonstrator of human anatomy and lecturer of advanced sports injury management. He spent several seasons working in the A-League as head physiotherapist at the Sydney Football Club before moving to the UK to work with Blackburn Rovers Football Club to take up the role as rehabilitation physiotherapist and clinical specialist. Before we start this episode, for those new to our podcast, our mission here at Prepare Like a Pro is to empower aspiring athletes and staff with the leader, sorry, with the knowledge of some of the industry's most inspiring individuals and to strengthen the AFL community. If you like the show, please show your support by following us on YouTube, iTunes, and Spotify. Welcome, Ibrahim. Thanks for jumping on, mate. No, no worries. Thank you very much for having me. Looking forward to it. Loving, loving the background and the and the logo. It's looking Man U's probably the most recognisable brand in the world, mate. How does it feel to be working at such an awesome club? Yeah, it's it's been incredible to be honest. I, I didn't think I'd ever be here. To be completely honest, I think it's been a really cool journey to get here and being at this club has been a definite highlight in in my journey so far. So yeah, it's been great. I can imagine. I imagine you have a few pinch me moments every now and then. Yes, especially the first week. I remember driving in. There's like a long road you're driving through to get to Carrington with the big, the big logo. And yeah, the first week especially, I was like, "Wow, this is actually real. We're doing this." So that was quite uh, cool. It wears off after you start grinding through the injuries and and through the, the nitty gritty pretty quickly. But I do have to sort of pinch myself sometimes and and take a step back and look how cool it is where I'm working. So yeah, for sure, very grateful, very blessed. Yeah. Well, yeah. Let, let's talk about the lead up to to where you currently are. Take us back to. The very beginning of your career, mate, what age did you discover you had a passion with sports physiotherapy and, and specifically working with elite athletes? Yeah, I think from a really young age, to be honest, I, I played football and futsal all my life growing up. That was my whole life, really, as a youngster. Played football and, and futsal in the New South Wales Premier League, which is sort of like a, a competition in, in New South Wales. And I found at a young age, I had a lot of injuries. Looking back, having upper mobility wasn't ideal. So many of my injuries I was picking up were typically joint-related. Mm-hmm. and was in and out of training and missed games. And at the age of 16, I had a particularly bad left ankle injury. And, um, yeah, I remember club physio maybe wasn't as experienced as that they could have been looking back on it now when I went through the club physio for a season and, and wasn't able to improve my pain. Still played every game and couldn't hop on the spot and had pain every game, as you do, and got through a whole season at 16th level with an ankle injury. But then found uh, I had to seek sort of external experts to figure out what the, the primary cause was of this ankle issue. Had had a cortisone injection before that and, and just played through the pain. So I think that experience of having gone through physios that were outside the club was really fascinating for me, really eye-opening. I found some of the quality of rehab really helped me get better and it opened my, my world up to the world of sports physio. And I think that alongside with my interest in anatomy, I was, I was quite a stranger, a stranger year, year 10 or year 9 student where I was fascinated by human anatomy and PE and I remember back then when you could still buy DVDs, I bought some DVDs by an anatomist called Gunther, Gunther Vaughn something or other. And I was, I was really fascinated about muscles and joints and function. And I think that combination of, of me having injuries, me being involved in football and then anatomy and PE led me down that path. I think in year 12, I 
I really knuckled down and spent the whole year sort of studying and I didn't see the sun. I stayed in my room all year long, studied my ass off and, and tried to get a good UAI. Back then it's called an ATAR now. Mm-hmm. And uh, end, of the, end of the year, over the moon with my result, I missed out on undergrad physio by 0.5 for Mark. So oh, devastated okay. at the same time. Yeah, we'll shut yeah. it. But, but uh, I think blessing in disguise to be fair because, yeah, that sort of spurred me to, to lead into the exercise and sports science pathway at Sydney Uni. Mm-hmm. Did a three-year undergrad at UCID and and that was incredible. You've you done the same same course, I imagine, where you get a nice foundation of theory and practice and physiology and conditioning and strength training and the importance of that in my physio career now is is massive. So I think, yeah, like I said, blessing in disguise, having missed out on physio, but that's the early stages. Yeah, fantastic. And and take us back when you're in that athlete mode and the difference between service and, and, and care. Like, was it mainly the technical and the knowledge that you think that got a better result with your ankle or was it the more the personal side in terms of care and the softer side of, of coaching, if you like, and, and treatment? I, I think, to be fair, the physio I had at the time when I had the, the bad ankle injury was a really new grad physio. And being a young 16-year-old, 16-year-old guy, you don't really know what, you, what you're being sort of given. So you trust the process, but then you get to points where you, you hit these roadblocks where, like I said, I couldn't hop on the spot. I remember going home one day after training and trying to hop, and I couldn't get my foot off the ground. But I'm playing 90 minutes of football on a Saturday. So yeah. I'm thinking somebody's not adding up here. I'm in a lot of pain. I'm in agony, but the physio is saying you're good to go. I'll pass their tests, which were really, really basic at the time, just resisted sort of resisted muscle activation tests and bit of palpation, and I was good to go basically off the table. So I don't, I don't blame them. I think that's just where you are. I was there when I first graduated uni too, sort of figuring out the ropes and trying to find the pathway. But then I think when you go to a really senior, established physio with expertise, you see the difference in, in care. Like you said, the the interpersonal skills, the building rapport. I think the conviction they deliver their message with is really key too. So you actually think, well, like. I believe what this guy's saying and then often the results back that up with how you feel on the pitch and how much pain you're in and how you can hop again, which is an incredible feeling after you've been in pain for 16 months or whatever it was. So, yeah, they're probably the big standouts for me. Yeah, well said, mate. And along your journey, who have been some strong influences in you in your career, like mentors, if you like? I think I've had so many, you know, Jack, to be fair. I'm, I'm really grateful looking back on the 10 or so years I've been a physio. I've been influenced and shaped by a lot of amazing not just physios, but S&C coaches, sports scientists, football coaches, uh, sports doctors. If I think back to when I, when I was in my last year of uni in the Masters of Sports Physio course, I was volunteering as a, as a masseur for Sydney FC at the time, mm-hmm. just rocking up on a Sunday, not knowing what I was doing, really just flushing boys' calves and hummies. And at the time, there was a physio called Stan Avancic, who was the head physio of the club. And after doing three months of volunteer Sundays, he sort of said, I don't want to work with the NYL, which is a youth league team. And at the time, the NYL physio had left just by chance. So Stan, I guess, influenced me in that in that first three months with NYL and then offered me another three months before my registration came through to work with the first team. So being a green physio, working in that environment with men's A-league players was really eye-opening and it was a steep learning curve, as, as you could imagine. So he was my first influence. But once I got registered, I recognized pretty quick that I had to sort of get a breadth of knowledge and get a really good foundation rather than going into football straight away. I wanted to sort of, yeah, see different presentations, different ages of people, mums, dads, kids, just try to get sort of runs on the board in, in that sense. So I moved into a clinic called, it was called Lewisham Sports Medicine back then. It's now called Leichhardt Sports Physio under a mentor or my boss, Ben Power. And Ben was great. I think Ben's skill set was that he was a MSK, a musculoskeletal physio, and he was really big on diagnoses and manual handling and being able to feel ligaments, the end feel was key for him and special tests and being accurate with your diagnosis was really, really key. So he was quite quite big on that and that really shaped, I think, my view on 
nailing diagnosis at the beginning or trying your best to nail a diagnosis as early as you can for really thorough assessment. Sometimes the initial consult was purely assessing the joint rather than going through rehab exercises. It was just getting a really good understanding of the person and doing all your tests really clearly and thoroughly. Mm-hmm. And also that year there was, was called a hate mentorship program through that clinic. So every Wednesday you go around the country and uh, work with a physio in a clinic. At the time, HNA had some amazing physiotherapists, like guys working in rugby league and in, in the NBL at the time and AFL guys. So I was able to go around Australia pretty much for the whole year on a Wednesday and have an ankle in service and a shoulder in service and a neurodynamics in service. So that was eye-opening for me thinking, wow, I didn't learn this at uni. Well, it was when I needed it at university, but I think that year really shaped my my overall breadth of the human body, I'd say, in a really good way. And then moving from there, I've moved to Narrabeen in a clinic called um, Narrabeen Sports Medicine or the Sports Physio Clinic within Narrabeen Sports Medicine Centre under Andrew Ryan, who's the, who was a Wallabies physio, and Katie Ryan, his partner, who's the Rugby Sevens coordinator. And, it, and again, I think my learning curve sort of kicked on again there just with people like those and having seen the physios around me, they were happy to show me things. And there's a corridor at Narrabeen, if you've ever been there before, where the sports doctors are. And so I'd just go down the, the corridor with the sports stocks like Luke Inman was there at the time and Dr. Stuart Watson. And they grabbed me and said, if you jump into this consult, I want to show you this ankle or this MRI scan. And Perfect. I think hundreds of hours of spent in those rooms, which is amazing looking back on it now, just my notepad and pen being dead silent in the corner, just writing notes and observing and, and finding that whole sports doctor side um, really fascinating. We had some cool surgeons. J- Justin Rowe was our main knee guy. He'd bring me into his room so I could watch him do knee scopes and knee surgery. So those three or four years at Narrabeen, I think, definitely shaped my my career and those guys influenced me massively. And then from there, I was a job came online for, for Sydney FC's part-time physio with a new head physio this time. So Stan had left and there was a guy called Elias Skyrim as the head physio there with Andrew Clark, who was the head of performance or the director of performance at the time. So I thought, yeah, I've done, I've done this clinical thing for four or five years and I'd like to jump back into professional football again i've done done sort of stuff with the swans academy and done stuff with the manly seagulls and i've done bits and drabs of of sports work but nothing full-time or even part-time yeah it was always clinic based and doing like a weekend or a wednesday night or a friday night so when that came on when i jumped at it i remember having a really intense interview for that role thinking back on it now basically in the room hard questions yeah oh man i I was really 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 nervous so basically we had khaki there shirt off i walked into a room my, my tie was on Shirt was on. It's a hot day in summertime. I was sweating bullets as it was. And then uh, Clarky's there. There's not real, not real sort of, uh, there wasn't any nice. He was like, jump in. This is your interview. This is Clarky. This is, I'm Elias. This is your first question. I was like, here we go. Fair enough. I'm strapped in now. And basically there was a whiteboard there, which had three scenarios. Clarky's in his top off, just standing there. And Elias says, drawing scenario A and whatever scenario B. Can you go through it on Andrew Clark? So I take up his hips and run through my, my spiel. He said, fair enough, he grabbed, he grabbed my, my hands, threw tape in there and said, can you strap his ankle and strap his knee for me so I can see how he straps? So I was strapping knees with my shirt on and my tie on. And then I went through like a scenario with concussion. And an hour and a half went by in, in the blink of an eye and I remember sweating so much in that shirt. But I think that was <laughs> it. That was, the, that was the, the metaphor for the next three years with those lads that were, that were super good to work with, I think. Having seen their different styles and, and our Doc James Lawrence's style at the time from Sydney FC, Definitely influenced what I do now, I think, from different angles, from, yeah, from Clarkies and Elias's and James's. They're very different people, very different practitioners, but they'll have their, their strong points. So that was incredible, spending a few years. And then, yeah, two and a half years ago now, I moved over to England and came to Blackburn Rovers to, to lead the rehab there as a coordinator of rehab. And my boss, Mitch, Andy Mitchell, who brought me over and gave me the opportunity, was just an incredible human being. I would say one of the 
biggest influences that Mitch had on me was his kindness and I think his humility and, and the way he approached humans and people rather than injuries. Mm-hmm. So to see someone as credentialed as Mitch be such a, a, a good leader but lead through actions and, like I said, left a real human impact on me was really key. And he basically came in and, and gave me empowerment and responsibility over the key rehab. So I was only there for a month and we had our captain do a syndesmosis injury. And I remember thinking, this is a pretty big injury here. I wonder whether I'm going to lead on this. My job role was to lead on all rehabs. And within a month, he said, Ibi, this is yours. Like, this is why you're in. So I brought you in. So I was able to work with a captain and he coordinate his syndesmosis rehab. And then I think off the back of that boys buy-in, you get respect from players when they see you work hard and when you, when you get results with people. So that was a sort of an easy win. And I was also able to lead on an Achilles tendon rupture and, and an ACL with our, our main sort of superstar player. So I really appreciate Mitch's empowerment. And I guess, like I said, his, his kindness and humility will save me for a long time. So he was a big influence on my, on my career. And most recently coming to Man United, which has been an amazing experience. And my boss, Robin Sadler, he basically sort of brought me into the club. I'd interviewed with Derby County probably three years ago now and made the final two. But for reasons that were out of my control, I think there was a visa reason and the local person was sort of on the site ready to go and they needed someone then and there. So unfortunately, I felt like I had the job and then it sort of didn't pan out the way I wanted it to. So he and Amit, the team doctor, sort of said, Ibi, in future, we'll help you get over here. We want you to get to England. It's your goal. And they, they sort of gave me their word. And true to their word, what was it last year? Robin gave me a call on my phone and said, Ibi, I've got a job for you at Man United with the women's head physio role and to work with the first team as well. And he gave me a really cool spiel about how we wanted to reshape the women's department and the plans for the club were great and he wanted me to be part of his bigger picture. So it's been great to work with him. I work with him every, every single day, basically, here. And he's been someone that's definitely influenced me as well because yeah, he's, he's got a cool side where he's approachable and he's got a big a big responsibility at the club to lead the direction we're going in as a, as a wider physiotherapy team. But again, very down-to-earth, approachable, very, very professional, very skilled. So it's been cool to have all those people, I guess, shape my journey so far. Oh, 100%, mate. Yeah, thank you for sharing and, and going into all the different experiences and, and what you gained from it, both from a person as well as from a professional point of view. Going back to that phase in your career early on where you made that decision to almost yeah, immerse yourself in as many different practitioners as you, as you could, as you mentioned, like different codes of football and working in the clinic and um, really working on your on your skills from a diagnosis point of view and manual therapy. How important do you think that sort of generalist approach was before you know, then going back into like a role like Sydney FC, we got that part-time role. But how important early on do you think getting exposing yourself to all those different opportunities was for, for now looking back? Yeah, I think it was massive. I remember people thinking I was crazy when Stan had said, Ibi, you've done a good job. Like, we're going to keep you on to be a physio with our club next year with the first team. And I sort of said, look, Stan, I, you know, I want to go and get my clinical experience. He looked at me like thinking, are you sure? This is a pretty cool job. And I, and I thought the same thing. I'm making a mistake here. Should I be, should I be yeah. staying here? Because this is my dream. But I think... I just knew I wasn't at the level where I needed to be at to be a good physio. I think you get complex cases in, in professional football and if you haven't got that experience and that confidence in your skills or your hands or your assessments or your rehab, you get found out pretty quick, yeah. as you know. So I think looking back on it now, I'm so grateful I, I took – it was actually a pay cut by a lot just to go into these HNA groups. I got offered a regular physio job in another clinic and Ben Powell offered me this HNA mentorship program and I was like – they were both very low-paying jobs that you imagine outside of uni, but one was like 10000 less, and I was broke from my university, Hexter. Yeah. I'm going to take 10 k less than an average wage to do this HNA program, but, yeah, it delivered massively. I think those Wednesdays going across the, the country to get mentored by people in top codes, and I think that really 
helped me lay a good foundation. And, and like you said, working with sports doctors was massive, watching them do injections and aspirations. And in Australia, I think we're quite fortunate that we look at MRI scans as physiotherapists in most clubs. Mm. Whereas in England, it's not always the case. They're not really trained in MRI sort of analysis. So having that under my belt, like, under my sort of skill set, I think is, is a key one. So watching Dr. Inman and, and Stu Watson and the guys at Sydney FC and James Lawrence interpret MRIs and me being there, watching and, and taking notes and figuring out how you can tell an ACL injury or an ACFL injury or a meniscus tear, I think only through that breadth of knowledge and through those clinical experiences would I have been able to gain that, I think, because once you're in football or, or professional football, it's harder to gain that breadth, as you said. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and for, for practitioners listening in that are currently working in high-performance sport and, and may go through that crossroads situation, was that a gut feel or did you have a mentor help you out with that decision or, yeah, take us through your thought process? No, I think it was. I think it was a gut feel. I know at Sydney FC, the people I was seeing or the players I was seeing had complex injuries, and I remember thinking, like, I have no idea what to do with this thing. Like, I've got my university background behind me, but he's got a grade grade three C hamstring injury, or he's got a he's got a big MCL injury that's detached from the tibia. I'm mm-hmm. looking at MRI scans and googling and going on physiopedia. I'm thinking this is not how it's supposed to be. I'm not supposed to be scrambling here to get rehab programs here. I should know this, but like back to front. So. I think it was the gut feel thing. I knew in myself, if I'd taken that role, it would have been a much slower learning curve for me and I wouldn't have been as, as valuable, as good of a, a physio as I could have been, I think so. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, well said, mate. And, and what, you know, apart from your networks, obviously, and, and all the great people that you've met along the way, what are some of your other ways that you like about honing your craft in terms of knowledge, practical skills? Yeah, take us through some of your favourite ways to, to upskill. I think this is a massive one for me, the, the podcast on the way to work. From where I used to live in Australia to get to Sydney FC was an hour drive there and back. So I used to smash through podcasts on the way to work. Normally on the way home, I was mentally fried, so I couldn't go on the way back. But on the way to work, I'd get through podcasts. I think last year from Blackburn to where I lived in Presswich was a good year of, again, podcasting. And I think earlier in my career, I was massive on attending all the courses that I could, the hips and groins and ankles and backs. I think, yeah, these days it's more through some really cool books that I've been recommended or, or through podcasts. I think in terms of yeah, knowledge, I think COVID for me really helped the pandemic which seems strange, but I've been doing things for three or four years at Sydney FC and hadn't really sort of mapped out what I was doing, why I was doing it, what was my processes. So I think having that two-month break when we all didn't know if we had a job or not to go back to when it was all up in the air. A colleague and I at Sydney FC got asked to present with this pacey performance sort of online return to performance process for an ACL injury that we'd, we'd worked on. So that was really helpful to sit down and map out my principles and philosophy and my rehab style. And off the back of that, I had a bit of an itch to just make it a whole booklet of my processes. So I, I mapped out all of my ankle rehab and knee rehab and hammy rehab. And I think that was a really cool learning journey for me because I was actually able to step back and look at the, the bigger picture. And at the same time, I remember people were messaging each other on LinkedIn and I remember I had a few messages from people and I, I messaged a few people saying, hey, mate, like you came to share ideas and, and link up on my hammy rehab or on such and such. And I got to link up with some incredible physios all over the world in that time. So people like Emilio, who's an Aussie physio in the NFL, Steph Brennan, the, the rugby league head physio at the Roosters and guys in the Bundesliga. I remember speaking to some guys in Germany and someone at Arsenal. And I was thinking, this is really cool. Like people are so open to different ideas and opinions and sharing things. And I think that was a really cool way for me to learn just by speaking to people that are in a similar boat who have similar stresses from managers and players and similar injuries. And then if, and if I pick up a few things from them, they pick up a few things from me. I think it was cool to just share ideas on that level. So that was cool. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I know it, when you get back into the full noise of a schedule, you, you can get quite busy. Do you try to sort of tap back into that mode and reach out to other practitioners that are working in the in the field, or is it does it get too too hard? Yeah, it's 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 easier now that I'm at United because we've got five full time physios in the men's team, and 
probably five in the academy and we're actually one big medical team. So last week we had an academy injury. We all went into this, this biodex room together and we hashed out his results and got to exchange ideas on what his results meant. And yeah, with Robin, he's been great about bringing me into the first team. So I know all the first team guys really well. And I guess I work with, with them as much as I can and help them with their screening. So once we screened all their boys, I was able to ask Robin questions and their physios questions on why they screen certain things and compare it to our screening processes. So I think it's harder to reach out to externals because we're so busy, as you said, but within the club, having like a true, a true interconnected team is massive. And that gives me chances to give someone a call and just ask questions. And likewise, I get phone calls of different injuries too. So it's been really cool. Yeah. And for, for practitioners listening again, that, that want to do exactly what you've done. So they're working in Australia currently, but they want to yeah, widen their horizon and, and work in America or, or Europe. Take us through how you started building momentum to to land jobs over, because I can imagine it, it'd be a whole nother level of competition in terms of practitioners and, and yeah, getting a step in the door there. So take us through how yeah. success leaves clues. Have you got first... any clues for us? <laughs> no, I, I got just rejection, to be honest. So the, the first time I applied, I was rejected. I, I got to the final few at Swansea. So there was an uh, interview what, three or four years ago with Swansea Football Club. Their head doctor, Jez, was class. Got to the final few and again, got a, got a call to say, mate, like really good, but just missed out. But he was great in saying, keep on going. Like you're almost there. Basically, we like what we saw, but it sort of gave me confidence and I was almost there, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then a year later, I had to, had to go with Blackburn and again, like almost got there and I sort of thought, well, this is, this is tough. Like I've had two interviews now and have, I've missed out twice. But again, like Robin and, and Ahmed being great people, they said like, we want you to be involved at some point, just not this point. Mm-hmm. So I think the thir- third time lucky with my Blackburn Rovers interview, I got in there. So I think just having a crack regularly, getting knocked back a few times, persistence yeah. is probably what I recommend. Yeah. The, yeah. I think also we take for granted in Australia how, how impressive or how good our sports medicine is compared to the world. So I think in terms of quality of football, without without being rude to our football quality, maybe not as high as world world levels, but I think in terms of our MDTs, our sports medicine scene, we are mm-hmm. quite well off. So I think if, if we hone in on all the people we have in Australia to lean on and improve ourselves while we're there, I think when you go abroad, you take all that with you, don't you? So yeah, yeah not being yeah. in a rush, not being in a rush to go over, I think just tapping into whatever you can tap into where you are at club level and then when you get across, I think it's easier to have an impact. It would be probably my opinion. Yeah, that's a great advice, mate. Make the most of where you currently are, hey, and and do a good job with that. And and you, by the sounds of your journey that you spoke about earlier, that was a clear focus. It didn't sound like you were rushing too early to, to get to the top. You sort of built up, you didn't really develop your skill set. So, no, well said, mate. And and from the rehab point of view, for those listening in that aren't aware of what a, what a rehab role entails, you want to take us through, I guess, What's some some key pillars or key areas of focus with the rehab role working at a football club? Yeah, so the rehab role in general, I think, uh, as a rehab coordinator, the, well, my idea of what it should be is, is the the coordinator that links in S&C, that links in sports science, that has an understanding of people's roles. So you, you understand the terminology and what people are trying to achieve. I think it's linking with the coaches and the player to be that middle person that coordinates and oversees. I think... You want to have like a transparent program with with a rehab role so that everyone's on board at the beginning and everyone knows where the person's leading, including the player. Always make sure that you sit with the player before a, a mid to long-term rehab and set expectations from the physio point of view, but also take on board what they want to achieve, how they've done rehab in the past and make it about the player rather than the... I think at different clubs, there's different, different roles. So for example, at Sydney FC, I felt like I was doing 10 roles in one. I was doing screenings and, and treatment and assessments and rehab and picking up water bottles and everything you do as, as that role with two full-time physiotherapists and one time, one part-time physio. Whereas at Blackburn last year, as the rehab coordinator, I was able to be truly just in the rehab. So anyone beyond 
sort of four to six weeks would come under my remit. And I would see them from day one, from assessment to, to the surgery, to diagnosis, to MRI, all the way through to end-stage performance, return to play planning. So being on the pitch with them, doing their worst-case scenario drills and being involved with, with football drills and linking coaches in at the end so coaches could see how they're going. So I think with the club, we had five, five physios last year at Blackburn or four physios and, and a part-timer. So I could just solely be the rehab guy. So yeah. in terms of specialism, you could be a specialist, I think, whereas... At other clubs, you sort of end up being a generalist that does rehab. So it depends on the environment you're in. But yeah, I think, I think the other bit of being a rehab person is having a process. I think having, having had experience with injuries and knowing what a groin goes through versus what a quad goes through versus a tendon. Sort of what's your objective criteria to progress? I think what tests uh, or machines do you use? Is it a biodex or a force plate or a handheld dyno if you're in a lower budget team? And then mapping that out because as you know, players get Angsty and, and coaches want players back yesterday, so unless you've got a clear plan in place and you can show them, look, this is the plan, you've got to tick these boxes to exit. It might be tomorrow, it might be six months, it's on you now. I think mm. it takes the pressure off the physio, whereas if you set a six-week return to play time frame and they go to Spain for four weeks and they're back and they're miles off where they need to be, it's hard yeah. to, to say, well, now we've got another six weeks to go, now you've just half-assed your first four weeks. So you're having a plan, having, having a process, linking up with people, making sure you're transparent, making sure you're a team player. I think you get the best results that way. Yeah, awesome, mate. It's a succinct philosophy and and one that you know, clearly sounds athlete centred and and, and you know, how you communicate with the athlete and bring them on board as well as how you said like be the middleman and being across understanding all the different I guess silos within a footy club or the different bubbles in terms of building those relationships with the coaches, the players, uh, sports science, strength conditioning coaches, all those practitioners that you mentioned. What's some of your what I guess you know if there's a in club where there's a lot of turnover, which EPL has that sort of reputation. How do you do it in such a short time frame? How do you build strong relationships? It's, it's a hard one. I think it comes through time normally. So you're there for a long time. They, they recognize your face. They recognize, I think, your work ethic. If you're committed and you work hard, I think you earn respect from coaches and players so quickly. Mm-hmm. If you graft and I think if, you're, if you care about the person, not just the outcome. A really cool quote is that people don't care how much you know, it's how much you care, isn't it? So I think once you care about the person and, and show them that you're about them and What's your goals? What do you want to get back to? I always try to empower them in, in a longer-term rehab with setting some, some upper-body goals or some core goals or some performance-related goals because I think that way they buy into the process rather than being about what you think they've got to achieve. It's about, well, do you want to get better at jumping off your left foot when you're head of the ball or do you want to get better at striking off your weaker leg? Or Yeah, so I think incorporating the, the athlete. And in terms of coaches, I think being transparent, I think, is a key one. I think taking responsibility when it goes right is great and then if things go wrong, you put your hand up and go, look, that didn't go to plan and, and that's... That's on us. We're reflecting on the reasons why as a team we're going to go through that, that particular rehab and, and let you guys know what we think rather than going like everything's great and when things go wrong, you, you point the finger at something else or someone else. So, yeah, I think, I, think it's, I think it's earned, especially with trust and respect. You've got to earn it. It's not given and I think that's the way it should be. Same with physios to S&C coaches and S&C to sports scientists. I think it's a team-first approach and as long as you're a team player and you work hard, I think it comes organically in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. Well said, mate. And from the head physio role, that's something that you've done at two different clubs now. What's some of your favorite ways to make meetings effective with, you know, whether it be a daily meeting or a weekly meeting, yeah, take us through your, your sort of... Yeah, I, I think they're always hard to make effective because they're, they're always sort of uh, the first thing of the morning, people waking up or end of the day, people want to wrap up and go home. So I think as long as you've got an agenda, so where we are now, we've got an agenda where Carl, who is our, our performance person, he'll go through sort of player availability and numbers. I'll go through the morning assessments and, and diagnoses in terms of who's in, who's out, who's modified. Then we have one of our SNC coaches, Jack, who goes through sort of the pre-act and gym program. 
And then we have our own sort of 10-minute segments in the morning, so we know that it flows to to the agenda rather than getting hijacked by a manager that comes in and goes, hey, guys, our team's all, they're not, they're not strong enough or we're, we're not powerful enough and half an hour goes by like that. We go, well, actually, we've got to get through these points. Do you mind if we chat to you after lunch or during lunch? So having yeah. an agenda, I think, is key. And I think giving people roles and expectations in meetings is really important too rather than having eight people that all speak. I think within a team, within medical or within sports science or within SNC, you have one vocal, one central sort of spokesperson. Everyone else has their voices heard. I want everyone to have an opinion, but when it comes to the final call, it's nice to have that um, sort of central line of communication so that no mixed messages and you're not getting someone to say they can train and someone saying they can't train. And you get out there and the player's like, well, he said I couldn't, he said I couldn't. So as long as you've got, I think, a, an agenda and I think if, as long as you lead with actions as well, it's good having an agenda. And if you go in there and you talk about for half an hour and everyone's like, well, I've been told to stick to my 10 minutes, but he has gone on a half an hour tangent. So I think mm. I've found my best managers in the past have led with their actions. So just trying to yeah, do as I say, if that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. And as I do, yeah. yeah. And highlights over your career, mate? What, what are some things that pop up front of mind and that, you know, actions or, or experiences, sorry, that you're proud of? I think there's been a, a fair few in, in my time that I can look back on fondly and really appreciate looking back on. I think one of the seasons with Graham Arnold, my second year there, um, Arnie and, and the team basically won every record in the A-League. They won the Premier's Plate. They won the, we won the Grand Final that year. We made the Champions League. We broke every Australian football record. We <laughs> part of that. That team where you rock up to a Saturday, you just think you're going to win, even though you don't know why. You just feel like you're going to win every single game. It was a cool atmosphere. I think the culture behind the scenes that year was really was really class in terms of how, as a staff, we were, how we were performance-focused, how it was all about the team first. I think most of my other highlights come through my experiences with players or with people. I think I take a lot from the interpersonal side. I'm a people person, so some of the key rehabs I can think back on as highlights probably be my first ACL at Sydney FC. I was fortunate to have four ACL rehabs in Sydney FC, probably unfortunate for the players, obviously having had four, like four injuries in four and a half seasons. But my very first one was with Ryan Grant. And I think Ryan as a bloke was, was class. And I think as a team, we work well together. Like I think back to some of the memories that we, we shared and he came back and performed really well and made the Socceroos team. And he's been playing since, I think. And we still stay in touch. He was in, he was in England about six months ago, came to my house and stayed at mine. So I think keep making relationships back then and then obviously keeping in touch is a key one for me. I think apart from that, maybe the, the rehabs at Blackburn, I think back to Elliot Bennett, our captain, and the few months we were together. And yeah, he still gives me a call every now and then to chat about how he's going and his new club. So Benno's Cinder's Moses was another highlight of mine, I think. More recently at Man United, I've been working with the ladies for the prominent part of my week now. So with, with the girls, Russo, she was a player who wouldn't mind me saying last year, she had a few soft tissue injuries. Mm-hmm. And when I was brought in this year, I guess one of my primary goals or expectations from the club was to try to keep her and a few other players healthy. So I think as a team, as an MDT, we worked on her gym load and her high-speed running and sprint distances and watching her wellness like a hawk, making sure we're monitoring all of her, her criteria daily to make sure she's healthy. And she obviously played a big part in the women doing so well at the Euros. She scored a cool back heel and uh, the women's won, won the Euros recently. So I think to watch her Massive. and Tooney and Mary do, do so well, I was over the moon, I was buzzing. So they're probably my... My key highlights, I'd say. Yeah, more recently, I went to Lyon actually to present at a conference at ISEC. I'd always been super keen to go to one, but being from Australia, it's a 24 hour flight. It's going to cost me $3,000 to get there and back. I always thought like it wasn't the right time being in the middle of the season as well. So I didn't want to ask for time off. Whereas here, it's in the off season and I got the chance to actually be asked to present. So as nerve wracking as it was, I think being on stage and, and doing that was a massive highlight for me. And meeting some really cool Aussie colleagues at the conference. I met some people that work in the NBA that are, that are Aussies. Yeah. 
and I actually sat on the airplane with the uh, with the conference coordinator just by chance. His name's Mike, and I sat right beside Mike, and I was doing my my rehearsing of my speech. He said, "Hey, mate, what are you reading?" I said, "Oh, I'm going to a conference." He said, "Oh, that's my conference. I'm coordinating now." <laughs> so I got to meet the, got to meet the conference coordinator, and How's that? and it was a wicked wicked week. I think meeting everyone, watching people speak that were experts in the area, making connections. I think was a definite highlight for me for sure. Yeah, it sounds like a buzz. Oh, that's awesome, mate. Yeah, great, great highlights, and and clearly there's more to come. On the on the flip side, what about significant challenges and growth periods, both yeah, from a professional point of view, but yeah, periods of your career that you've you've been challenged and and you've grown from them. I think probably the last two and a half years being in England, I think leaving everything I was comfortable with in Australia to come to a foreign country, have to find a house and buy a new car, and missus had to find a job and. It was in the middle of COVID, so we couldn't really bring any family over or, or make friends or stuck in our houses for the first six months. So that was really challenging, I think, from a mental point of view. But I think probably the, the best and hardest thing I've ever done. I'm so glad I did it. Having come through the other side now, it was really worth it. But there were points in the first three to six months where I was thinking, is this right? Have I made the right call coming here? And was miserable. It was raining every single day. I'd missed, I was living in Maribor near the water, and I was like, have I, have I made the wrong call? And partner was thinking similar things, but we both said, look, stick through it. Let's give it a year and see where we are in 12 months. So that was probably the biggest challenge the other challenge i face sometimes i'm sure most of us do the work in the sport is that we're so passionate about what we do and sometimes we can i guess find it hard to find work-life balance yeah so i'm still trying to figure that one out i'm still trying to master the, the, the switching my phone off and switching my brain off on days off and because i think when you're rested you're a more effective clinician when you're tired and you're working your ass off sometimes you can be less effective so i think it's actually better here than it was in sydney to be fair at Blackburn and Man United, we've got a, a decent sort of work-life balance. At Sydney FC, I could go sometimes three weeks without a day off. I remember being really? 28 days in a row without having a day off. I was thinking, this is not normal. Like, I get we're trying to win the competition, but it was really affecting sort of the, the effectiveness of productivity, I think, of, of our work. It was sometimes an hour or two of a morning to see a rehab player. Or it could have been a recovery session. It wasn't full days, but it was just yeah. me driving to the ground for, for a month straight. So I think where you work, the culture is massive. But I think from my point of view, being able to switch off when I get home, after a certain time of the night, putting my phone in a drawer is my new tactic now. After 8 p.m., phone goes into a drawer. Hope it doesn't go off in those few hours. And then on days off, try to find ways to distract myself and get out and about and explore the, the country. What is it on that note? What does a typical week look like for you, mate, in terms of from you know Monday leading into a in-season schedule? Yeah, so so the men's schedule is different to the women's schedule. Our women's team at the moment has a Sunday game. And do you mean like the seven-day sort of training yeah. match day? Yeah, and how you've, you're sort of, it sounds like you're involved with sort of academy men's and obviously heavily involved with the women's, but yeah, how does it all sort of fit in into a day? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it all fits in, office and we, we get it done. I live 10 minutes away now, I'm quite lucky, so I bought a house really close by with the missus, so that helps me getting in and out. But I think from a women's point of view, we have we have a Sunday match normally, the Monday's the recovery day, but we have our injured players in for the morning just to assess and triage and organize scans, and we have... Tuesday, Wednesday in, and then Thursday is normally a day off, which is which is quite unusual to be in a, a football club with two days off a week, even though the Monday's a physio day off. Our girls get the, the Monday and Thursday off. And then a Friday, Saturday leading to a Sunday game. The men work on a different schedule when the academy are on a different schedule to that. They've got 23s, 21s, and 18s and below. So I think it works. It really Somehow it all works because I think we're one big team. I think most of my time spent here with the women's side, and it's only really the, the odd case where we have an injured player that needs me to be assessed by myself and screenings and, and checking interesting rehabs with the men's team that I go across there or work with the osteopath on, on certain places. I think Rob has done a good job with coordinating it so that I can get across most places. And 
I think in terms of work-life balance, like I said, it's, it's a much better way at the moment compared to what I had at Sydney FC because I sort of put the bar up here thinking that's what elite sport was. And I've come mm-hmm. to Blackburn and, and Main Island and seen it's not always that way. You can actually have a day off or a day and a half off a week and still succeed and still feel good. So it's been positive. Yeah, yeah and it sounds like, yeah, from what you mentioned, how important it is from an energy point of view and, and mentally and to be able to have that time away and reset and, and it does require discipline as well, like you said, putting the phone away and and take it upon yourself to, to recharge the batteries. Uh, we'll, we'll move into the, the personal side part of the segment, mate. Get, get to know the Ibrahim. Ibi was your nickname. You've heard, you mentioned that a couple of times. Ibi, Ibi, yeah. Ibi, Ibi. or Ib, Ib, I get Ib. a lot, whatever you want to yep. whatever you want to call yep. it, Jack, I'm Ibi. <laughs> yeah, I like Ibi. That's got some good energy about it. The Have you got a favourite inspirational quote or 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 life? Or, you know, it's a, a life motto that you sort of live by or something that, yeah. Um. I love quotes. How much time do you have, Jack? I could give you half an hour of quotes here. <laughs> I imagine <laughs> I'll, I'll, they'd be like... useful with your rehab experience with the players. 100%, exactly right. I think I've yeah. got a few for players. I think my main ones to players is trust the process. I think rehab can be tricky and, and sometimes you feel like you're not an athlete anymore. So show them the process. You, you guarantee them that you're going to do everything you can and they trust the process is my favorite line. And the other one is money in the bank. Do we get yeah, to yeah. saying that, but... I love that. Just let's make deposits now that we can withdraw when we start playing again. And in terms of my own personal quotes, I think early in my career was hard work pays off. I just wanted to work really hard and hope it led to something cool. I think now that I'm in a, a head physiotherapy role, I think it's more control the controllables. I tell myself most days, mm-hmm. just control what you can and whatever you can't control, let that be and, and try to switch off whenever I can. Otherwise, if you try to control too much or you, you haven't got a clear priority list, you can get spread really thin and that's why I yep. think you become less effective. So. And then probably my last one would be a Turkish quote, which is Allahum Sana which just means, God, thank you for everything. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I forget that I'm so fortunate to be where I am and to be healthy and alive and just be here doing this thing is a blessing in itself. So telling myself that I have a morning getting out of bed, I think really calms me down and settles me into a nice, productive, relaxed day most mornings. Yeah, I love that. And is that <laughs> a part of like a ritual that you do daily before you, you get into your routine? I wouldn't say a ritual. I've tried doing the wake up in the morning and breathing or meditating for five minutes and then writing a sort of reflective gratitude journal, but I don't really stick to it. I do a week of it and I miss it for three weeks and I do a day or two here. So I think that little quote or prayer of a morning that I do almost every single day and before I sleep most times too, just reminds me to be grateful and to appreciate it and yeah. be present. Otherwise, you get so busy, don't you, with, with the work we do and then you're thinking about that appointment and that plays rehab and that manages tasks that you don't actually stop and enjoy the moment. So being grateful, I think, is a big one for me, reminding myself that 10 years ago, I'd love to be where I am now, and I want to make sure I appreciate these small moments as well. Absolutely. And what about in your work life? Do you have any pet peeves, anything make you angry? Maybe the players do or, or colleagues. <laughs> pet peeves. I don't think I've got many pet peeves, to be honest. I think one of them is probably transparency. I, I like, as an MDT, as a support staff to the team, they're the superstars, we're the support staff, I think. Everyone being transparent is really, really key. I think if I'm leading a rehab, I want to have that on the whiteboard or on the TV with my, my rehab mapped out. I want people to, to critique and criticize and ask questions so that when we're all on board, we're all on board and when things go well, we all celebrate it. And that mm-hmm. way, if, if God forbid things go poorly, then we're all in on that too. And we can all say we, 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 we saw it, we had our inputs and it didn't go so well. I think when we're not transparent sometimes across the board, it can be a little bit tougher to work in those teams. So. I try to make sure I do that with my rehab and I think most people I work with do that with their parts and I think that helps us be a true team rather than being individuals within a team, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a key, key ingredient, no doubt, to successful teams. I like that. Put it all on the board and 
and if you've got something to say, say it now. And then when you leave the room, it's we're all in in it together. That's a, a great approach. I think Aussies, we're quite good at that too. I think we're, we're happy to critique each other and it's never like a personal thing. It's more about like what's best for the, the player. I yeah. think sometimes in other cultures, it's a little bit tougher to, to critique because it's just a cultural thing. Aussies are pretty open people. So I think it's a good thing. If you're, if you're a team, when you leave, like you said, and we all have our opinions in that room and we walk out as a strong front, mm-hmm. I may not agree with what you're doing, Jack, but if a player asks me, I'll say, yeah, well, that's Jack's idea. I back that. I might go to you later. Hey, Jack, like, are you sure we're doing this for the right reasons rather than telling the player, yeah, you're right. Like, that could have been a, a, an oversight from his point of view. Yeah. I think when you're connected as a team, you get better success. So definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And it goes back to what you said earlier, how important it is to be athlete first and team first. So that puts it front of mind. What a, You mentioned days off and how important they are to, to be your best. What's your favorite way to spend your day off? These days, I think mainly just trying to explore England with the missus if she's off. We've, we've been trying to go to different cafes and, and see some of the Parts of the Lake District, it's called, in the Peak District, and we've done a few bits of touring around the country. On a lesser scale, we I watch a movie at home, so I turn my phone off, or go to a cinema and watch a movie by myself just to get my head out of the books. Or call my brother. My brother and I are really close, so if I give him a call in Australia for an hour or two, it flies by, and I feel like we're laughing and having a good time. And I think just making sure the biggest thing for me is the phone goes away for a few hours. If the phone's on me and it's pinging all day long, it's hard to really not be distracted by that. So giving myself clear windows, the phone goes away. I'm in the moment, I'm enjoying myself. And then at the night, we can organize player treatment times and reply to managers and S&C guys and everything else is the way I try to switch off. Yeah. And the, the department, the medical and high-performance department, what does that look like? What, what, how big's your team in terms of the women's <laughs> program? Yeah, the women's program, we've got basically two and a half physios. We've got head of performance, an S&C, a sports scientist. We have a part-time masseur with us and we have coaches and analysts and everything else. So that's within our silo. And then as a greater team, we've probably got about, I'd say, 15 full-time physios at the club, which we link up with regularly. Yeah. And we've got this this thing called a link, a link project earlier in last year. Yeah, Robin coordinated sort of like a, a catch-up between two people, often a senior and a junior physio. Everyone did a project and presented it back. Oh, awesome. I think that was great because, yeah, because that way I got to see everybody on like a Zoom twice for twice in, in the space of six months. And off the back of that, got people's numbers and we've been sort of interconnected ever since. And I think, in order to achieve success as a club, I think that's probably the, the biggest thing is being connected with everybody, like you said before, and not just being in your little team and being siloed. So, yeah, that's that's been a great part of the experience here so far. Yeah, fantastic. And, you know, obviously you're happy where you are with Man U, but in terms of the horizon, how, how far ahead over your career would you look towards the next goal? Are you something that you, you've mentioned how important it is to be in the present? Like when you're at Sydney FC, were you thinking thoughts of like, you know, a bit of an itch to go over abroad or did that only start to come once you saw jobs were advertised? Like take us through how much of your career has been, I guess, deliberate and, you know, you've had this clear focus and how much has it, has it been sort of organic and fluid and you've sort of followed what's happened, what's in front of you? Yeah, I think I've always wanted to be in football, as I said before. I've always wanted to work in England. That was a clear goal of mine. Yeah. Um, and the Premier League's always been the goal too, to work with the English Premier League. So. I think organically, off the back of my goal, I sort of found a path to get here, if that makes sense. It wasn't like I was applying for every single job I saw online. I only applied for the three. But I, I think I always knew that in my heart of hearts, I wanted to be in England and work in the Prem. But I think in terms of where I am now in this current role, I'm really happy with it, to be fair. I had an opportunity not long ago to to be sort of put forward for a Premier League rehab role. And I said, I'm happy where I am because this role is fitting everything at the moment. I'm enjoying where I am. I'm enjoying working with all different teams and I'm happy in my role, so I think remembering to be content where you are sometimes. It's easy to always look for the next, next best thing. 
Yeah, yeah. But, but I think where I am now and where the club's going and as a bigger team where we're headed, I think is, is what keeps me happy, keeps me going. I'm not looking for anything else and I'm quite content where I am. Yeah. <clears throat> Pardon me. Yeah, fantastic, mate. And obviously it's first thing in the morning where you are now. What's, uh, what's the day look like for you? Yeah, so today is a match day minus one. So pretty easy session. The girls get in. We, we normally treat of a morning first thing. The ones that need to be told in terms of modifications or training or not training, getting really early. So they're with us in the next 30 minutes. Uh-huh. Then we have our medical meeting for half an hour. Off the back of that, we have a coach's meeting where we sort of hand over our medical meeting findings and player availability. Then we sort of head over to the gym and we do a bit more treatment with the girls before they go into pre-act. And then during pre-act, we're taping and strapping. And then when the girls go out, I, talk, I take the rehabbers to do the longer-term stuff on the side of the pitch. We've got an ACI at the moment who's five months post and she's flying and keeping really motivated and keeping me busy. So working with has been great. And then after that, we come back in. Twice a week, I'll do a power session or a strength session. So it's similar to the Aussie philosophy of barbells and dumbbells and BBT bands and gym aware. So I was really impressed with the level, yeah, the level of S&C he's been classed. And then after that, we have an end-of-day sort of wrap-up most days where we catch up again and plan out for tomorrow and I text out the, the appointment times. So that's a, a pretty average standard day here. Yep. And being at the three big, like your most recent clubs from Sydney FC, Blackburn and Man U, has there been a surprise in either club on how different they are or is majority of the medical performance side similar? <clears throat> I think... I think philosophy-wise, Aussies and, and English do a pretty similar job with, with rehab and with injuries and with performance. I think we share a similar, compared to the guys I worked at, a Spanish or German. So I think at Sydney FC, part of me, we did everything on a budget almost. We had like our own sort of Nord board. We had a handheld dynamometer. We had really good staff and very experienced people, but we didn't have the budget. So we had a Blackburn last year where we had a biodex. So I got to train myself up on how to use a biodex machine on every single rehab. We had force plates. We had a pool. We had... Five pitches, an indoor pitch. It was, it was ridiculous. The level wow. of facility was unbelievable. So I was able to, I guess, apply the basics with another level of sort of like machinery or testing or resources. And I think working with in, in, the, in the championship last year, the biggest difference was people that had their own people sometimes. So in Australia, obviously, everyone goes, comes through the club physio, whereas last year, certain players had their guys or wanted to see people. And at first, you think like, is that a, is that a bit of a, an issue with me as a rehab coordinator? But then you actually realize these people have known their guy for 10 years. And once you get to know them and open your phone, give them a call, they want to actually work with you and help. And was an alarm going off? Can you hear that, John? Yeah. Got to evacuate. No, it's good. So I think that was a big thing. And then working with people that were from Germany, Netherlands, Spain, the Spanish guys loved their flywheel, would avoid a barbell at all costs. Germans had their own ways of recovering. And I think being open minded, not just thinking like textbook or evidence says this. Looking at the athlete, what do they need? What's their cultural background? And then applying that to their picture was really key. I think it may not have this year. Similar to Blackburn, we've got facilities that are unbelievable. So we've got a massive gym and we've got our own biodex and we've got force plates and we've got osteopath full-time. And like I said, experienced physios around and a full-time doctor that helps us and helps everybody in the club. So I think just tapping into the resources that you have um, in front of you is different to the Aussie culture where you work hard and you grind with what you have and you get a good result. But I think we had really good principles of loading and, and GPS and S&C. But I think now that you can, you can apply those principles with a lot more kit and resources, it's easier to have a bigger impact or I think a, a faster impact or a more objective impact rather than guessing you can test everything really. So, Yeah, 100%. Yeah. 
Fantastic. Well, that wraps up the, the show, mate. Thank you so much for jumping on and sharing with us your experiences and what's worked for you and, and, and how you've got to where you are today. I've learned a lot from it and no doubt the listeners have as well. What's on the horizon for 22, mate? What are you excited about for the rest of the year? 22. Um, I think just to build on what we've already started at the club here, I think within our women's team, I think our goal is to achieve the Champions League this year and we fell short by one place last year. So I think that's a goal within our team and I think within the wider club, our, our physio team's growing. I think we're heading in a bigger direction. I think we're all being guided towards bigger and better and I'm excited to be on that train, I think, with Robin and our boss, who's John Mertzler, is really investing in our medical provision at the club. So being able to see that grow and be part of that journey, I'm really excited about. And personally, we bought a house, as I said before, so renovating my, my house, I've got a nice little backyard there, which I missed from Sydney. So getting my hedger out on a Sunday and doing hedging and some backyard bits and, um, yeah. Yeah, renovating the house is probably a big one. So, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Plenty of exciting things happening, mate. Well, yeah, thank you again for, for jumping on. Is there anything that we've missed that you'd you'd like to say before wrap it up? No, not at all. I just wanted to say thank you very much. I think these podcasts are class. So to be able to tap into one is, is great. And you've done a great job with the way you're doing things here, Jack. So great stuff, my friend. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate it. And, and thank you for everyone that's tuned in. If you, if you tuned halfway through, make sure to watch the very start. As soon as we close the live episode, this will live on our YouTube channel and next Tuesday we'll release the podcast episode. So make sure to tune in if he's provided gems all the way through for not only physiotherapists and those working in high performance sport, but also for athletes to listen to. Maybe you're going through rehab or um, you're, you're aspiring to be the best athlete that you can be for your sport. So make sure to tune in. And our next live chat is with Chris Carlisle. That's 9 a.m. Monday, Australian East Standard Time. He's a previous NFL experienced strength conditioning coach. So looking forward to that one. I'll see you guys then. Cheers again, Ebby. Thank you very much, Jack. Stay in touch. If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content, such as a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian of the Collingwood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, I suppose it is, um, it'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane. And I often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be. And then game changes, yeah, game changes, whatever that might be. And look, it probably keeps me in a job, but that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes. And, you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete. Yeah, yeah. Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. Here's an example with Academy member Rama Davies, the friendly conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks. Welcome Rama to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, awesome. so he's another Box Hill man that. Uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So. I'll handle it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And, yeah, thanks, um, thanks, Sam, for the chat. 
it was uh, I found it to be really insightful. Plenty of gems in there, um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, my 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 question to you was: you spoke quite a bit about um, perspective during that chat, um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or um, do physically that um, you wish you either knew or did. Uh, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm, yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it yeah, certainly yeah, has been massive for me now and, and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose one thing I might mention is, is gratitude. I spend a lot of my mm. time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts, doing a, a journal every day just to be to say what I'm grateful for, sort of three things. And um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to, yeah, like reset and, and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about, you know, that there is more to life than football or, you know, might be whatever as an SNC coach, you know, if something's if you're having a hard time, um, it can be massive with just yeah opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that in that work bubble um yeah. so that's that's been huge um i think i wish back then when i was younger i asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things mm. i think i was a bit single-minded back then and um you know i thought there was one way of doing things and um if i kind of didn't have that fear Fear of you know asking a silly question or fear of judgment it would have got me a lot further and I probably would have learned a lot quicker um and yeah. and yeah like just yeah being open to sort of different things um because you never know what you might find it's just yeah there's so many people like great people out there knowledgeable people to learn off and there's plenty more where that came from if you would like to learn more then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review, or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.